All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Bourbon Hound Podcast with Rob McDonald and Mike Teeples, two bourbon hounds on the hunt for their next bottle. All right. Well, hey, I'm pretty excited tonight to have everybody join us for the Bourbon Hound podcast. We are going to talk about some things we've been kicking around for a while. But to start, Rob McDonald, you're there on the other side. Here I am. Yep. Hey, there's there's the man. What are you drinking tonight? I've got in front of me uh, a bottle of Old Granddad Bonded. So I'm going to pop the top on this one and have a little pour here and so uh this says it's the uh high mash high rye mash bill 100 proof kentucky straight bourbon whiskey so old granddad that's a uh, a beam product and um if i'm not mistaken i think old granddad is actually uh basil hayden so that's the one in the same so not not the same bourbon but um the old granddad was actually Basil Hayden, I believe. That was so. that was his name. Right, exactly, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. How about well, you, am, Mike? What are you drinking I'm gonna, tonight? I'm going to join you on the bottled and bond. I'll pop my top as well. I'm having some uh, Heaven Hill bottled and bond, which this year in the Whiskey Advocate magazine that I do pick up every year, um, they talk about the top 20. And for 2019, Heaven Hill's bottled and bond was number four. And I've heard people say, well, you can, you know, whatever you want to about how these lists come out. I, what I think is interesting is sometimes these lists come out and then some of these bourbons get hard to find, which uh, this was a bottle that was hard <laughs> to find. So it took me a while. I, I looked for probably over a month stopping at different liquor stores around town here, but I did find it here locally in Colorado Springs. And this guy is aged seven years. And it's a bourbon that, interestingly enough, you'd asked me before about Jim Beam. And if I got some sort of a, you know, cornbread muffin flavor mm-hmm. from that one, and I, I still have not gone back and tried that solo to test your theory because my palate has gotten a little more refined. You've helped me there. Um, but this one, I do get a little bit of that cornbread flavoring in there. It's kind of a, a sweeter, almost a little bit of a caramel type of a note there, but it's a, it's a pretty sweet juice. Okay. So you get some of that uh, corn dust and it's rounded maybe with, I mean, I haven't ever had it, but uh, that's what I get sometimes when you get that cornbread. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, hey, we got a couple of, uh, you know, you got a bonded and mm-hmm. I have got a, a bottled and bond as well. Um, so, hey, um, you know, let's let's talk about what bottled and bond actually means. And I know I know there's a history. And Rob, I thought maybe I'd kick it to you to have you kind of tell us what you had, had learned about what would cause bottled and bond to come into to existence in the first place. Yeah, so for those uh, bourbon hounds out there, when you guys are out um, scouring those liquor stores and grocery stores and Costco and bait shops and wherever you might find a sweet bottle of uh, bourbon whiskey, and you happen to come across that one that says B-I-B or B-N-B or bottled and bond or bonded um, or something to that effect, that actually refers to the bottled and bond Act of 1897 uh, that predated the Food and Drug Act. 
So uh, prior to that, the standards for whiskey were pretty lean. There wasn't much out there and there were some unscrupulous things going on. Um, if you've ever heard the term of some rock gut whiskey, um, that's, you know, probably back from those times. Um, so we're talking about um, 1897 uh, under President Grover Cleveland. Um, it's kind of interesting. I did a little research, you know, just because for me, when I start thinking about things in history, I like to put it in context. What else was going on? So we're talking about 32 years after the end of the Civil War. Um, Utah had just become a state in 1896. And interestingly enough, Oklahoma will not become a state yet until 1907. So, uh, you know, I, one thing I didn't check and I should have was how many states were in the union at this time. Uh, but anyway, under President uh, Grover Cleveland, um, this act, what, what it was trying to do and what it accomplished was setting a standard so that things weren't happening like uh, poor ingredients. Um, there was no standard for aging. Um, some things that were happening were that uh, distillers and um, some brewers, they were putting things like creosote or turpentine or tobacco juice into whiskey to either flavor it or color it uh, or both. And so in that time, there were, there were peddlers that would travel around maybe with a barrel on a cart and go to local taverns and watering holes and give out samples. Hey, this is what I'm selling from XYZ Distillery. And apparently it was common practice so that they would take the good stuff on the road. And if you were a proprietor of such establishment and you would order a barrel or two to serve to your customers and what you would get is not what you had ordered and tasted when they made those rounds. And so things were cut and uh, sounds like there was even some bad acting going on um, amid those uh, distilleries where uh, maybe they would tamper with each other's bottles before it got to the tavern. And um, anyway, things needed to be cleaned up. And so interestingly enough, it was one way that the industry sort of took itself by the reins and some uh, certain distillers stepped up and made the push for this act that is still practiced today. Um, another thing that it does is that it delays the excise tax until the bourbon or the whiskey is um, aged, the aging is complete and it's ready to be bottled and sold. Um, so they don't have to pay tax on it until it's ready to be sold. Otherwise, uh, they have an excise tax when they distill that. So yeah. So, I, so people were putting, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned tobacco juice and things like that. So just to get that color, you know, maybe they came up with a, a white whiskey, a white bourbon, and then they just to get that color, they'd maybe put a little tobacco chew in there to, to get that flavor and get that and get that color, huh? Right. So, you know, all whiskey is going to be white out of the out of the still. And so the color actually is imparted from the oak barrel. 
And so if they were taking essentially moonshine and trying to pass it off as a two or a four or a six year bourbon, um, it's not gonna be clear out of the still. And so they would add things like turpentine and tobacco juice and creosote to color it. Um, yeah, so obviously there's something that needed to be done. And um, I don't know, Mike, do you, you have any idea, I, I'm sure you do, about the actual definition of what is it? We know the history, so you know this is what was going on. We needed to do something about the timeline. But what, what does it actually mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting because, uh, you know, I mentioned on one of our previous podcasts that I had held a tasting at my house and I did a challenge to a bunch of buddies. We tried to come up with a category of bourbon and one of my buddies said, hey, there's, there's seven or eight of us that uh, are going to participate in this tasting. And how, why don't we do a bottled and bond tasting? So we went around town trying to find bottles that were bottled and bound and didn't really know Honestly, I didn't know what that meant. So I did a little research at the time. And yeah, this was an actual legal act. And it kind of has these, this is what the requirement is, right? So it's got to be, um, got to be distilled under one distiller and in one distilling season. So January to June or July to December, that could be their distilling season. But it's got to be one distiller in one distilling season. That's the, that's the first uh, requirement. And then the second one, it's got to be aged in wooden barrels for at least four years in a federally bonded and supervised warehouse. Now, that's maybe the original uh, requirement was to have it in, in that kind of a warehouse. Now, what I've read since then is that that really doesn't happen anymore because uh, all the modern warehouses themselves are bonded now. But the reality is they have to be in a bonded type of a warehouse for over four years. So uh, the, the, this Heaven, and Heaven Hill that I'm drinking tonight that's a seven year, so it meets the requirement. Does it say anything on your your bottle? It, it, says, it does not, but I can tell then from being bonded um, that this is, well, let's see, actually it does say here, barreled for at least four years. So okay. we know that uh, it may be more than that, but at least four years. Okay, and then, so then it goes on from there and it says that the, only additions that you can add to the bourbon itself is water. And the only, reason, the only reason you would add water is, to, is you're trying to get to a certain proof. So you right. want to be 100 proof. To be bottled in bond, it's got to be 100 proof, 50% alcohol. So I could see then that they would add water maybe to cut something. So um, what I thought was interesting about our tasting when we did that was that um, I picked uh, Henry McKenna. Uh, bottle and bond. I think that was one that was ranked pretty high in some of the magazines I had read. But I think a lot of us that night were um, pretty new to the bourbon game. So bottle and bond at 100 proof for us, for some of us, was a little hot. And that's a term that people throw around when something seems, you know, pretty high on the alcohol content. Now, since then, you know, last week I was drinking a, a Stag Junior, and that's over 120 proof, depending on the bottle and the, and the barrel you get your, your bottle from. Um, and that one doesn't seem as hot to me. I think just the way that, that, that those flavors meld together for me don't seem so bad. But what happens frequently when you get to those higher octane type bourbons is people add water or ice to those and they kind of cut it themselves. But you got to get to 100 proof, exactly 100 proof to be bottled in bond. And what I thought was really interesting is I, I mentioned that this Heaven Hill was number four on the list this year. Number one was a George Dickel bottled in bond. It's a blue label. 
and it won whiskey of the year, um, number one, and it can be purchased if you can find it. And it's tough to find for, I've seen it um, for sure under $40, uh, but I've seen it a couple of times in the high 20s. And I thought, Rob, you said you saw it even maybe cheaper than that. Yeah, I saw some last week for 17 and some change. And I'm going to have to swing back by that place because I didn't pick up a bottle and I should have. Um, so when, we, when we're talking about proof, um, so that's a whole nother subject that we need to touch on sometime. Uh, why we, why we talk about proof instead of percentage or we do both. Um, but essentially that hundred proof is 50% alcohol, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So a lot of the bourbons that, um, folks would refer to as easy sippers, um, or smooth, uh, what comes to mind for me immediately is like the Weller, um, some Maker's Mark, maybe a Bullet. Uh, those bourbons typically are somewhere in the low 40s, right? For the alcohol content, meaning that they're like an 80 proof. Right, exactly. So, um, so like you'd mentioned, the bottled in bond, um, it has to be bottled at 100 proof, but out of the barrel, well, probably actually off of the still, that whiskey is probably over 100 proof off the still. And so it's going to go into those barrels, and the proof is probably going to increase in that at least four years, right? I would, yes, yep, absolutely. Yeah, so as that as that spirit ages in those barrels, it's going to lose some of that water. Uh, it's going to lose some to evaporation. It's going to lose some to the barrel, and so they're going to wind up with something that's uh, somewhere maybe 140 to 160 proof. And like you'd mentioned here, they're going to have to cut that with water. Um, cause that's the only thing they can use, right? No additions except for water, um, to get that to exactly 50% alcohol. And I, think, and I think when you think about a flavor profile, you know, just diluting something to get it where you need it to be, is, is probably not the methodology that they want to go with. So I'm sure the target for them is not to get up to 130, 140 proof and have to add water to bring it back down to a hundred. They probably want to be as, as close to that as they can with their natural distilling process to get get the, get the flavors that they that they want to get. Yeah, so no doubt they're going to go in the rack house, and they're going to find barrels that meet the criteria, and meet the flavor profile that they're looking for, and are around that hundred proof, and then they're going to blend those barrels from their rack house. And then if they've got to make some adjustments before it goes to bottle, they can add water if they need to. That seems, yeah, that seems reasonable to me. Yeah. So you mentioned that you didn't pick up the George Tech Dickel bottled and bond and you could have, right? Yep. yep. So I, I, I didn't realize that Baker's, uh, they've got another one that was in that list of the top 20. And I, you know, it's funny because again, the lists mean whatever they, whatever they mean. Right. But it, what I, what I, I like the hunt. So mm -hmm. when something makes the list, that means people are starting to look for it. So then I just want to try it and see if I agree with them. But it also makes it more fun for me to go and hunt those bourbons. So I walked into a store and I thought that Baker's number seven 
was one that I've already got a bottle of that on my shelf. I've got that here, but I thought they changed the bottle itself. But what actually happened was the one that took number 16 in the top 20 this year is actually a Baker's number seven. That is a single barrel. And I don't have that one. And earlier, well, last weekend I drove up North almost of Denver and I saw a bottle of the new, what I thought was just a new bottle shape, and it was the same juice that I already had, so I didn't pick it up. Come to find out, it is a completely different bourbon. I didn't grab it. So you had a chance to grab the Dickel, number one. I had a, a chance to grab number 16. We both struck out. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I did. So uh, I, I did pick up a nice bottle at that stop. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the podcast. But um yeah, I actually didn't realize that that uh, George Dickel bottled and bond. So I saw it there um, next to their standard bottle. And I think we were talking before I got on the podcast, you know, um, that that's kind of a, uh, it's similar to a Jack Daniels. So it's whiskey. It's not bourbon whiskey uh, because it's charcoal filtered. And honestly, that was part of, I saw it. I've had George Dickel before. It's good. It's good whiskey. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I thought, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to pick that up. And then I saw that, that bottled bottle. And I, man, I, I didn't realize they had a bottled and bond product. Um, and maybe it's just me, but I think that uh, for, for whatever reason, maybe it's the popularity of whiskeys and bourbon right now. Um, but I, I get the feeling that the bottled in bond is sort of making a comeback that, uh, people see that it's something a distillery can do to add a product line, um, without, uh, really having to push the envelope too hard. The rules are kind of already set, right? Um, it's sort of a throwback to, Hey, you know, this is still a law, you know, it's an act, um, and, uh, it's something that they can do to, um, provide a new bottle, a new tasting, a new profile for their uh, customers. And um, I don't know, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I, I agree. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, the tasting that I was talking about was maybe three or four years ago when I first was starting to get into bourbon and whiskey. And at that time, we could only find seven bottles of bottled and bond, seven different brands. And now I guarantee I could find 15 here in Colorado Springs. And again, some of the places have come out and just added that to their lineup. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, maybe it's a marketing gimmick for, for a few of them. Um, but I think you are, you know what you're getting. And I, what's nice about that is if they're all at a hundred proof, really you're taking the alcohol content out of the equation when you're trying to compare a couple of different bourbons. So mm -hmm. uh, like the, the stag, maybe with that, that flavor profile for me being at a higher octane, it's still okay because those flavorings, you know, meld well with my palate, but maybe for you that might come off as, as pretty hot. Well, leveling the, the playing field on the, on the alcohol content takes one thing out of the equation. What's interesting about that was what one hours hands down was Rittenhouse rye uh, bottled and bond. And I think the rye, it just did something to cut the heat a little bit for all of us. Cause we were all pretty new to the game. So, so with that, you know, did you, what else do you know about, about the bottled and bond and, you know, kind of where lo location wise, you know, where that fits in? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, it, it, so it only pertains to the United States cause it's a, it's a U.S. federal act, um, signed by the president at the time. So it pertains to spirits produced in the United States and its territory. So um, 
any, any place under the jurisdiction of the United States federal law. Uh, and it doesn't have to only be whiskeys. So uh, rums, um, I'd, I'd read a little bit about, I think it was gin and vodka for sure. They could be bottled in bond. The criteria were different. So they had to be aged in non-conductive like glass um, containers, I think it was. Um, so that was a little bit, that was, that was interesting, a little bit different than the whiskey. Um, one of the key players uh, when this was all taking place uh, was Colonel Taylor. So if you see Colonel Taylor whiskey, which I believe now is what uh, it's a uh, Buffalo Trace line, uh, the Colonel e. Taylor. Taylor, right? That's yeah. the one that's the E.H. Yeah, right, right. So he was a famous distiller at the time and was from from what you can read, at least on Wikipedia, right, was it sounds like he was doing it right. He was trying to make a stand up product he was trying to represent bourbon whiskey well. He was in Kentucky, you know, kind of the birthplace, and was fed up with with what was going on. And uh, it, it's also interesting, I thought, that he was actually an honorary colonel. So that must be a Kentucky thing. <laughs> but, uh, if you're good at whiskey or fried chicken, you get to become an honorary colonel, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, that's so, that's yes. Funny. So he was a big proponent and he actually uh, worked with the secretary of the treasury, John Carlisle, Carlisle yeah, uh, to advocate for this act. And um, anyway, they, uh, they pushed this through Congress, got this thing passed and uh, we're still, we're still celebrating it today, I guess. You know, what's, what's great about that is, you know, bourbon's really an American product, right? Uh, you got the Irish whiskeys and stuff like that, scotches and things like that. But bourbon was something that was ours, you know? Right. And I, I like, and I like that. I like that some, some of the players in, in the industry back then were fighting for standards to hold everybody accountable to a level where when you go and get a bourbon of bottled and bond, you know what you're getting. And the idea is that you know, people aren't going to get sick, obviously, but get, go in and, and order one thing and get another. I like that they fought for some integrity in American bourbon back in the day, had the foresight to do that. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple other things that came up when I was doing a little research, I, I didn't realize that we have this three-tiered alcohol system around here, right? And it's uh, the idea is that there's three tiers. So the first tier, these are the manufacturers that produce a limited number of bottles. And then they take those bottles that they've distilled and they've produced. And then those are the guys that basically make it, you know, bottled and bond in this case. And then they, they sell that product to wholesalers who are, you know, importers, distributors, and state control boards for various markets. And then some actually go to some exporters, they go overseas. Um, but, you know, the distributors really, those are the guys that kind of control, you know, the retail guys who gets what kind of bottles. So if you think about it, in terms of if I'm a retail liquor store and I'm working through my distributor and Mike Teeples or Rob McDonald are coming in and they're constantly asking, how come you guys don't have Weller? Well, I'm sure the distributors are going to say, well, you guys aren't moving enough booze of one variety or another to qualify for these allocated items like a Weller or something that's hard to get. We only get so many bottles and we're going to give those to the people that are moving products. So I know at one time 
there were some some distributors who were saying, hey, if you sell so much wine, we're going to give you some of these allocated bottles. And I know some of the bourbon guys didn't like that. You know, the idea of of using Weller, um, something, a Buffalo Trace product to try to move Kendall Jackson wine probably didn't sit too well with those guys. So I think there, there's some controls in that in place. But then, so tier two are kind of these distributors. And then tier three is the retail guys. So these are your liquor stores, bars, and restaurants that get what they get. I always told the girls when they were growing up, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. But I think if you got customers out there screaming for stuff, they might be throwing a fit, right? So, uh, but that's determined by the wholesale level. So distributors often do tie you know, allocations to sales goals of one, one type or another. So I think that's kind of interesting. It came up in, in some of the research I was doing for talking about bottled and bombs. So right. I thought it was interesting. Um, anything you can think of you want to add to that? that no, little I mean, just, yeah, just along those lines that um, maybe you've got a favorite store or two that you stop into and you ask the the clerk there, the owner or whoever, say, hey, you know, I'm looking for this certain bottle. Do you guys think you can get it? And if they tell you, I don't know, or no, I can't get that, they're telling you the truth. So, um, you know, just because the store down the street might have uh, 12 bottles of, of Eagle Rare or Blanton's or something else on the shelf, um, and your favorite store doesn't have it, um, it could very well be something with that distributor that's saying, you know, hey, you don't move enough of this product or maybe another line from that same distillery, you know, um, or maybe they got their certain allocated bottles and that's all they get for the year. So, it, and, and to me, it's interesting. So I can go into my local uh, little shops and I, I can tell you right now, I know, in fact, I know you and I were where we were texting earlier and you'd said something about you're looking for some horse soldier. And I can think of one shop in particular that I know that every time I stop in there, they've got it. And I may go to a store a half a mile from there and they never carry it. So, and I may ask that, that uh, store owner and say, Hey, could you get this bottle? And they very well maybe tell me no. And, and that's, that's the truth. So yeah, it's and interesting. I, and, I'll, and I've told you, you know, on previous episodes, we've talked about the travel that I do and how I see things in different parts of the country. So, you know, I've got a good friend up in Minnesota and I've told him, hey, if you get your hand on a couple of these bottles for me, I want one. And uh, he told me he can't get Eagle Rare, which you had mentioned before, you know, that you have a hard time sometimes finding Eagle yeah, Rare. Yeah. So I picked up uh, and, I, and I posted a picture on our Facebook page. Uh, that showed three different sizes of bottles and he was I took that picture and sent it to him and he was blown away oh man I can't if I find anything it's a 750 but I've never seen a, a 175 and this small guy the cute guy I, I can't find that anywhere so yeah grab those and put those aside and I did have a couple of extra bottles of those because I, I picked the one up for you and one up for him so with that um, what what did you come across this week Rob did you got any you got any sweet juices that you were able to, to hunt up yeah you know um I, I talking about uh, stores and distributors and that kind of stuff. So there's a little shop that I like to go in and uh, they're known for uh, craft beers and spirits. And um, I've gotten to know them. So I've got kind of a relationship with this particular store. And I'm always in there saying, you know, like we'd mentioned before, I've always got something in my hand before I ask them, 
hey, have you got anything else? Is there any new allocations? You guys got anything new coming in? And uh, they actually messaged me on Facebook Messenger and said, hey, if you're interested, we've got these two uh, wilderness trail bottles in. Uh, so, and one of them was a bottled in bond and the other one, um, I'd have to look at it. I think it's just a bourbon. I don't think it's a small batch or anything like that. And I didn't, I've been looking for a wilderness trail for quite a while. And so I immediately messaged you, Hey, how many bottles do you have? I said, well, we got three of each. So their allocation apparently from wilderness trail was six bottles. And, uh, I was like, yeah, save me one of each. You know, I don't want to take, I don't want, I, I wouldn't mind having all six, don't get me wrong, but but if I do that, it, it's sort of like uh, I've heard said in this COVID uh, hoarding situation, you know, if, if you've got a basement full of green beans, the only thing that means is your neighbor doesn't have any green beans. You're so, right. <laughs> yeah. So, I thought, you know, I'll take a bottle of each and, and then let some of my fellow bourbon hounds get in there and let them uh, score a bottle. So I found, found those and... Uh, and then I, I stopped into that shop we were talking about and where I saw the George Dickel and didn't buy it. And I should have, uh, but I picked up a bottle of Jefferson's small batch and I've never tried that yet. And I haven't opened it yet. I got a couple open bottles that I need to uh, get through and we'll have to, that'll be another podcast uh, topic sometime is uh, how many open bottles and how, how does that open bottle affect flavor and age and, all those things, which I think is all a matter of opinion, maybe, but um, be worth a topic. But how about you? Do you find any good bottles this week? I did. I've got I've got a couple of good bottles this week that I want to talk about. Uh, and I will mention we could almost do a whole episode talking about how some of these guys, like you mentioned, Jefferson's Jefferson's Ocean. Uh, I know Breckenridge uh, Distillery's got a, an, an interesting way of getting their product out there to get the flavorings in there quicker. There's some other places that put kind of oak staves in their bourbon to flavor things a little, change the, mm -hmm. the flavor profile. That could be something we could talk about as well. But the two that I found this week, and again, I kind of was focused on the top 20 from the Whiskey Advocate. I was just on the hunt for those recently because um, I would had some luck recently kind of scoring the other ones that I was looking for. And one of them that I got that I'm really excited about is this Bardstown Fusion Series. So this one, uh, Bardstown, which by the way is a Heaven Hill product. That's what this uh, Heaven Hill bottled and bomb that I'm drinking is tonight. So I'm, I'm throwing them a little love tonight, like their stuff. The Fusion Series is actually three different kinds of bourbons. And it's got on the side of the label, it's got a, how much percentage of each one of these is in here. And 40% of this is a 12 year aged bourbon. And then it's got the mash bill ingredients, how much corn, how much rye and how much barley is in that 40%. And down below that, the next one is an 18% and it's, a th it's aged three years. And that was again, corn wheat instead of rye and malted barley. And then the last one was 42% aged two years and 10 months. So it's a blend of their, you know, and, and we know that happens a lot with the distilleries. So that's, I'm pretty excited to try this one. I haven't tried it yet, but that was my big score. And then it reminded me, of when I stayed up at, uh, oh, the, the hotel up in Estes Park, Rob. What's the name of that? The Stanley uh, the Hotel. Stanley Hotel, yeah. They have a fantastic, fantastic whiskey bar, and they've got whiskey on one side and bourbon on the other. And that's where I learned that whenever they blend a bunch of whiskeys together, bourbon or scotches, if they were to make any kind of an aging statement to say this is a seven-year scotch or a seven-year bourbon, 
they have to limit it to the youngest of the blend. So if this right. were to be, if they were to say here that this one is aged any kind of years, they'd have to limit it to the two years and 10 months that's on that, the, the youngest of the three, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah. And then, then the other one I scored, and I'm with you when I go to a place and I've got, I always make sure I've got a bottle in my hands. I know they know I'm a good paying customer before I ask a question. And I don't go in and just ask, you know, the, the question about the three or four hot items. I don't even, I don't even bother asking for Pappy Van Winkle. That may come up in right. conversation <laughs> where I say, oh, I'd love to get pie Pappy, but everybody would, right? And then move right. on. Uh, maybe it opens the door. They say, well, turns out I do have one. Who knows, right? I may get lucky, but it's probably not going to happen. But I asked at this local place, hey, do you have anything that, uh, you know, tickled your fancy recently? And they said they had this stuff called Smoke Wagon. That's out of Las Vegas, Nevada. And I grabbed a bottle of that and it is fantastic. So I cracked that open, uh, loved it. It's got a little bit of a smoky uh, flavor to that that I really, really enjoy. A um, little bit of peat, but not overly so. I told you before, I'm not a big peat guy, but I went back and bought another bottle of that one because I wanted to make sure I had some of that the next time I get some buddies together for that as well. So those were the two finds that I picked up and I'm still on the hunt for some more of those top 20 bourbons if I can. Um, keeping an eye out for those. Right on, right on. Well, um, what do you think? Any closing thoughts? Any uh, Anything strike you about Bottled and Bond or uh, where, where we're at now compared to then? I, I love that these flavor profiles can be compared and you can kind of isolate one factor that makes them different and just go for the flavor on that. So that's, that's pretty fun. The, the, for me, my, my closing thought for this week would be um, this podcast, the Facebook page, uh, you know, the, the Instagram account. I know, Rob, you've got us on a couple of other platforms now as well for where you can find the podcast has opened doors to more, more people that I already knew, but maybe I'm knowing them better now. And I'm starting to do some of this, uh, this trading buddy stuff. I've learned some things like, uh, you know, cost plus shipping and stuff like that. When you're going to try to trade something to somebody, you're not trying to, you know, flip it and make a profit. You're just trying to find somebody that's willing to do you a favor and buy something that they can buy locally that I can't buy here. And that's making me smile. So I would say uh, my takeaway is part of the hunt is enjoying it with other people. I think I said that in a previous episode as well, but happy hunting, everybody. Get out there and find something that makes you and a friend smile throughout this process. Right on. I'll say cheers to that, Mike. Cheers, Rob. Thanks again, Bourbon Hounds, for joining us on another episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at the Bourbon Hound Podcast. If you're on Facebook, please join the Bourbon Hound Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you. And give us a follow on Twitter. Just search for the Bourbon Hound Podcast.